This episode is brought to you with support from Whole Foods. As our resident Greek girl, I am a sucker for Mediterranean flavors and want you to taste the Mediterranean too. Go to Whole Foods Market now and save on regionally inspired products through March 19th. Find sales on animal welfare certified meat, including boneless, skinless, air-chilled chicken breast, bone-in beef short ribs, ground lamb, and more. Save on whole bronzini and sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon. And stock up on Mediterranean essentials like feta cheese crumbles, whole wheat pita pockets, and if you're over 21, wines from Spain, Greece, and Italy. Grab your ingredients and experiment with family-friendly Mediterranean cuisine today. Think Greek-style ground lamb pitas, lemony oven-roasted chicken, or bronzino, or instant pot short ribs braised in wine. All simple and delicious. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Do you ever feel like you're in a never-ending cycle of snacks and meals? We get it. That's why we're excited to share HomeThreads, the ultimate solution for creating a stylish and functional family space. At HomeThreads.com, discover furniture that can handle the chaos of family life. From wipeable dining chairs to kitchen tables and light fixtures. Or you can just freshen up your kitchen with trays, counter lamps, decor, and other affordable accents that will help you update your kitchen into a room you love spending time in. Head over to homethreads.com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for Dinner and I Just Feed You, to get a code for 15% off your first order. Because if you're going to be feeding them three times a day, plus snacks, you deserve a home that feeds your style. Homethreads, love where you live. That's homethreads.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y today to get 15% off your first order. Hey guys, it's Stacy. I know how much you loved our episode, Half the Sugar, All the Love with Jennifer Tyler Lee. So I am so excited to share that if you're listening in real time, Jen and I are hosting a Cook Together webinar on Friday, May 8th. I'll be making sheet pan fajitas for my new cookbook, Winner Winner Chicken Dinner, and Jen will be making the strawberry ice cream pops mm, from her latest, Half the Sugar, All the Love. Not only can you cook along with us, but we'll be giving away free e-versions of both books, cookware, and a bonus recipe too. Check this week's show notes for a link to register for the Zoom webinar. Hi friends, we are so glad to welcome you to our special Mother's Day episode brought to you by Milk, Love What's Real. The biggest thing and the biggest goal for me out of all of this is not so much the recipes, but to teach my kids how to feed themselves without having restaurants, without having to go to the grocery store. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hey, I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. Hey, before we get started, we want to make sure that if you haven't already, you take a moment to hit subscribe wherever you're listening to us right now. That way you don't miss a thing. And if you're feeling generous, because Mother's Day is coming up, or just because... <laughs> You don't really need a reason, just because. Rate and review, it helps a ton. Plus, we know you can do it right now while you're listening because you are a master multitasker. Because you're a parent. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Megan, we've got Mother's Day coming up, and we don't normally have special holiday episodes, but this year we had the opportunity to create one with the amazing Chef Claudette Zepeda, who I'm so excited for you all to hear. Um, you might actually know her from a previous season of Top Chef. Um, but it's all thanks to Milk Love What's Real, 
who want to acknowledge all of the amazing moms out there and encourage families to celebrate real moments that matter. So thank you. You know what I love about this love what's real moment, Stacey, is that we are for real drinking through a ton of milk right now. (laughs) Us too. It's insane. And my kids get panicked when it's running low. Yes. They're like, wait, is this empty? Is there more? Is there more in the freezer in the fridge downstairs? I'm like, there is. Okay, just relax. Like, just bring it down. Like, promise we won't run out of milk. (laughs) Do you know what I'm just now having this thought of like, I don't think I realized how much milk Ella drinks at school because they serve it with like snacks and it's an option at lunch too at school. So I find her like drinking a lot more milk now that she's home for three meals a day and two or three snacks. It's kind of like, remember bottles? Remember those? Yes. And we used to buy a different like, kind of milk. Yeah, like two gallons. <laughs> oh, no. Well, when we transitioned like yes, away from formula yes, to, yes. to cow's milk, it's like I used to buy like those big gallon jugs. And yes. I'm, I'm back to doing that because I normally get the half too. gallon. Yeah. Usually we would get a half gallon yeah. and it would last us like two weeks because we would uh, just occasionally, I, I would, I use milk all the time for cooking, but the kids didn't really drink it a ton. We would have sometimes like chocolate milk as a special treat or like the occasional bowl of cereal, but we are just like flying through it. I think I could keep two gallons in the house at all times if I had enough fridge space. Yeah, I definitely have a, I buy a minimum of a gallon and a half (laughs) right now in quarantine. (laughs) And you know what else I learned? I think this is weird. I'm so curious to hear from our listeners. Oliver likes ice in his milk. It's not that weird. I I know it isn't, but then when he first asked for it, I was like, huh? I definitely do not put ice in my milk. Do you? No, but you know when you, (laughs) oh, this is like a very specific childhood memory of like getting the little cartons of cafeteria milk and they would be like so cold from that like big industrial school fridge that they'd have like the little like slivers of ice in them. It was so good. I don't know why. (laughs) It's like milk slushy. Yes. I think that's what it is. There's something about it when it's like so, so ice cold that it's extra sweet. Yeah. You know what else we made, which I haven't done since the boys were really little, is I we had my boys insist on buying strawberries, even when they're out of season, to the point where they eat strawberries all year round, that when they actually have super sweet in-season strawberries, they think it tastes weird because, you know, whatever it is, like nine months out of 12. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. But they were about to turn, and I made a strawberry simple syrup, and Oliver was like, pink milk, pink milk, pink milk. And you were <laughs> Which, like, yes. Yeah, I used to make that for them. I totally forgot about it. So yes, I feel you. A lot, a lot of milk happening. A lot here. of milk. Also, we have not talked about this. We've talked about the the weird trend of like sourdough during quarantine. Yes. We've talked about the weird trend of like regrowing scraps during quarantine, but we haven't talked about you've made it. I have yet to, although I just recently bought ingredients. Delonga milk or Delonga oh, coffee. Yeah. Is that how you say it? Oh my God. Wait, you're just making me realize something. I think it's Delgana. It's South Korean, right? But it reminds me of something they make in Greece, frappes. And I know I've seen a lot of other people being like, yeah, in my country, we do the same thing. So it's the instant coffee plus 
water plus sugar that you froth up till you get like yeah, a Yeah, you like whisk it with a hand mixer to yeah. get it really fluffy. And then actually you pour milk over ice and then you put that coffee on top, that coffee froth. Yeah. Which I did do and it was delicious. And I'm now looking back and wondering if that's where Oliver got the ice in his milk inspiration. Oh, that's it's really good stuff. I got to tell you, it was pretty. Delicious. Okay. Well, I just, in this most recent grocery delivery, got more milk, one, a most important, more milk, but also instant coffee and Ovaltine. I'm going to try to make oh. like whipped Ovaltine frap. You're a genius. Del- Del- oh. Say it for me again. Dalgana, I think. Or Dalgana. Dalgana. I'm going to Dalgana my Ovaltine. <gasps> That's so smart. On top of milk as a special treat for my kids. Okay, so I want to talk about Mother's Day too. But I do want to say that I also have been buying, and I'm I'm partly saying this to have a little conversation about it, partly because I want your approval to be, okay. f- I'm going to be completely frank. Okay. <laughs> Like every single supermarket run, I'm also buying multiple containers of heavy cream. Smart. I love and it. a thing of buttermilk. Yes. Mostly for my fried chicken, but I'm using it in all different ways. I made a buttermilk dressing the other night. So yeah. It's really I just great, want your isn't approval. <laughs> I too added heavy cream to this week's um, grocery order, which like I forget just how useful because you can make like sweet cream biscuits with yeah. heavy cream mm-hmm. yeah. or pasta sauce. I've been making a lot or of creamy pasta, pasta sauce. sauce. Also, I find myself reaching for more like canned milk recently, like evaporated milk and sweet and condensed milk. So we're just like buying and eating through milk in every form. That's so interesting to me because I, you know, I guess it really speaks to what a comfort food it is and how central dairy is in making comfort foods. Yes. Like there's something about, you know, is that American? I mean, we're going to talk to Chef Claudette who talks about her Mexican culture. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Greece. So like, and milk factors and comfort food in both of those cuisines. So Speaking of comfort food and family and tradition and home, Mother's Day, are you super psyched? No, I am not even a little <laughs> bit psyched. I asked it that way. <laughs> I tried to pitch a story for Kitchen about why we should just postpone Mother's Day this year. Very specifically because, like, there's all this data. I should probably fact check it before we share, but, like, how many more women are on the front lines of fighting coronavirus, like more nurses, more social workers, more um, service workers, whether they're grocery store shoppers or they work in food service, are women. So like women are working more than ever before, just in general, but also specifically in this very specific time in history. And like how many of those nurses are actually going to get to celebrate Mother's Day with their families this year. And doctors, all those and doctors. doctors. Yes, I'm um, sorry. All you, I'm so glad. Yeah, I think, and also like a lot of women in, of color in particular mm-hmm. too, like out there fighting for us 
to be safe at home. And all joking aside, all of our like complaining and and this is so hard, like this is such a privilege to be able yes. to be home. So I actually really appreciate that you said that because that helps me in very real time. It's happening right now, listeners. <laughs> like I'm shifting my perspective right this very moment because I was having a hard day with my kids. But yeah, this actually could be the most special Mother's Day of them all, like with the right perspective. And that's not to undermine how hard it's been, how tired we are of our kids, how desperate we feel to maybe be away from them. <laughs> Am I just speaking <laughs> for myself here? Um, crickets, no, crickets. I'm 100% okay. there with you. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I appreciate that. Like thinking of all the women who can't and really making it special, like in their honor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a different perspective. I was like, let's just cancel it. But oh. you're saying <laughs> But you're saying we should make it special in their honor. Okay. Oh I can God. get behind that. I can. Oh my God. You always make oh, me wait. laugh the most. <laughs> Are you excited to celebrate Mother's Day? No. And I mean hell no. no. I mean now, yes. <laughs> uh, no. I Yeah. I, will I say wasn't this, joking when I said I wanted to kind of be away from my kids. And I'm starting to get to that place where I feel a little guilty. Yeah. You that I'm though. feeling that way. But I, yeah, I'm just trying to give myself grace, but also give them grace. Like this is hard for them too. Also though, I had a conversation with Oliver, who's my 10 year old, and he's having insomnia and it's causing a lot of problems because he's tired and irritable and whatever. I was like, are you feeling anxious? And we were just having like a little heart to heart on our dog walk. And I asked him if also he likes, kind of likes in some ways, being home with both mom and dad all the yeah. time. And he smiled and he said, yes. Like, oh. so this is interesting that it's like, the kids are tired of it too, but actually this is really meaningful for them. And for a whole lot of kids who have working parents, it's rare and they're also lucky to have both of their parents at home. Mm -hmm. So just trying to get into that mindset. I think that for me, Mother's Day is going to be more about being appreciative of our privilege, trying to get in a headspace where I'm happy that we're all together and not expecting it to be like, okay, now you guys honor and give me something. Also, because if I do that, I'll just be disappointed. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I was like asking Brian a few days ago. I was like, so what do you guys have planned for Mother's Day? And he was like, when is Mother's Day? Yeah, girl, you set him up. They don't know. I know. I mean, it's not okay. all day. That wasn't a capital day. That was a Mike and Brian day. <laughs> yes, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. But talking with Chef Claudette really got me thinking about how, like, why it's important to celebrate Mother's Day anyways, and sort of this like through line of celebrating our own mothers and our own heritage, specifically through cooking. Cause let's be real, that's how we do it for both Stacey and I, right? Like you cook your you cook because of your family. I cook yeah. because of my family long before we ever had children. And so it's just like really refreshing to talk to her about the importance of of mothers and cooking for our families and and how that creates this like cross-generational celebration. Speaking of, 
I want to tell you guys about her because she's so cool. Chef Claudette Zepeda is a San Diego-based chef named a James Beard Best Chef West semifinalist, which in the food world is pretty big. Big deal. Really big deal. She's been written up in the New York Times and Esquire magazine and many more major publications as a notable best chef. Known for her fearless culinary style and bold approach to regional Mexican cuisine, Zepeda was a member of BuzzFeed's inaugural Tasty Talent Program. Ooh, that's also super cool. And also the former Top Chef Season 15 and Top Chef Mexico competitor. She continues to find inspiration from her frequent travels around the world and threading the quilt of human connection through food. And oh, hey, she's also a mom of two. Claudette. Yes. We're all in quarantine and we were talking off mic about having all these kids around and we get to celebrate Mother's Day soon, <laughs> which I, I have very, like, I have a lot of feelings, a lot of different feels around Mother's Day this year. These are very strange circumstances for a lot of people. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, actually, it's really hard because they can't be with their entire family together. You know, some yeah. of us can't be with grandparents. Um, also, we're all just exhausted and totally overwhelmed. So... I need to know, how are you going to spend your Mother's Day? That's part A. But then part B, I'm going to put you on the spot. And I want to know if how you're going to spend your Mother's Day is how you would actually like to spend your Mother's (laughs) Day this year. Um, Well, you know, it's funny because of what I do for a living. And chefs, notoriously, we don't, like Mother's Day isn't a holiday. Most of the women in our field aren't mothers, um, a large group of us that are have to work and we work a long (laughs) shift on mother's day. Like mother's day is like Sunday, bloody Sunday. Like we don't (laughs) enjoy it. It's, it's grueling. So I always have this internal turmoil of like, you know, it's mother's day and you kind of like, okay, you have to prep for brunch, you know, just getting your kicked on brunch. And then at home, since I'm a single mom and I have been for the kids lives and they don't, there's no dad to plan something. So they're just like, oh, we made this at school when they were little and now they're teenagers. So then they're like, oh yeah, happy Mother's Day. And they walk past me. So Ahem. I have to plan my Ahem. Mother's there, Day. <laughs> there is a dad in my home. And let's just say that it's not dissimilar. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, different strokes for different families. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think I've had one memorable Mother's Day where I said, oh, that was special. Because I have kids that are always fighting and I'm just trying to stay sane (laughs) and try not to just have constant mental breakdowns. But I think (laughs) for Mother's Day, the cool thing is I think of Mexican Mother's Day because then it makes me think of my grandmother. So like I do like my own little kind of um, celebration for my mothers in my life, you know, like my mom, my grandma. I call my mom and that's really special to me. So I'm not so concerned about what my kids do for me. Hopefully when they get older and they're not jerks to each other, they'll think of something together. But I think a lot of my grandmother and my mom. So did you grow up with your grandmother nearby? Were you very close with her? Oh, yeah. She was my roommate up until (laughs) uh, our sophomore year in high school. Yeah, she lived with us my entire childhood and early adolescence. And she was my confidant and the first person to, you know, have my back and the first person to call me on my And yeah, I see a lot of uh, my strengths come from her. I love that. That's so special. I also was very close uh, with my great grandmother 
I wouldn't call her my confidant though. She was she was <laughs> a hard woman. But you know, looking back, it is so special to have access to your grandmother, not just for yourself, but also I think now looking at her relationship with my mom and how that informed my understanding of my mother and how like it comes all down the line is really special. And for me also, my grandmother was a very serious, very talented home cook. Mm -hmm. And for sure, my passion for food and cooking came from her. Is that the same in your house? Yeah. um, My grandmother, I broke my arm when I was a kid, when I was uh, sitting on a stool in the kitchen watching my grandma cook. That was like the first memory I remember of uh, seeing her in the kitchen and she had 16 kids, only eight survived um, to adulthood. And she provided for them all. My mom didn't know how to cook when she married my father because my grandmother had just been the sole cook for all of the kids. Wow. Um, so, and it was just, it was, I mean, we come from insanely humble roots and my grandmother and my mother have this talent of making you think that you're having this insanely elaborate meal and you're really eating leftovers from two days ago. Um, and that was a talent that my grandmother had. She always made you feel special that the, the food you were eating and she was a heart too, but something <laughs> about something about me and her and our relationship, I was the first granddaughter to have a child, you know, and then, and then she saw me as a single mother. And then she saw me as a cook working my off, working three jobs. I was the first one of my cousins to get tattoos. Um, and she was a very hard woman, very traditional, very Mexican. Um, but she always saw me in, with different goggles. And I always I, I always acknowledge that. She would see my tattoos and she would just rub them and tell me that they're pretty. And then someone else would be on TV and she'd call them a delinquent and they were drug dealers. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I always got a pass from her. And so I, I, to this day, I'm super grateful that my kids got to meet her and spend quality time with her before she passed. And I'll never, like the memories that I have with her cooking are some of my most sacred memories. So she died of Parkinson's. Um, so when she literally had to hang her pans up because she couldn't cook anymore, that was when she started dying. That's a beautiful story. It's heartbreaking, but that's really beautiful how connected you guys were through food. So is there a recipe or a dish that really reminds you of her that you think you might make this Mother's Day or sometime soon while you're in quarantine with those kids, those crazy kids? <laughs> Um, well, she loves guisado. So my grandmother was always um, one of those like one pot wonder cooks. Um, and so that is just a braise. And that's what for me, if I make a braise, I can literally sit on my couch watching garbage TV with a pot in front of me and just eat that and feel like I've been talking and having like the best therapy session in the world. Um, so I think my love for like a braise beef with salsa verde and rice and beans with tortillas like that is what you would go eat at my when my grandmother got her own apartment when we were in high school. That was the first thing that she would serve you. You would go eat. You would go and say hi to her, and she'd say, "Sit down. Let me make you some plate." You know, she was that. This is like the Greek grandmother, the Italian grandmother, the Mexican grandmother of I don't care if you're hungry, I'm gonna feed you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that was braised meats were always on the stove with salsa, and beans were always on the stove. And it's funny because sometimes I'll catch myself leave the beans on the stove overnight. And some people like would say, oh, you can't cook those anymore. They've been out too long, you know, yeah. temperature danger zone. 
And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Just turn it back on, add some water. You're good. <laughs> and that's something that I just remember always. There was always a pan of beans on the stove and it was they were dry. It looked like a fossilized beans. And then my grandma would just reconstitute them and turn them back on. She's like, you're fine. As long as they're not furry and they don't smell sour, go ahead. But so, yeah, I think for Mother's Day this year, I'm going to do a dish, a creamy green tomatillo, like enchiladas suizas, which is a dish that is uh, traditional to Jalisco, where I, both sides of my family are from. Oh, it's one uh, of my favorites. Yeah. So I'm going to do a basically a beef suiza. So I'm going to do braised beef with a suiza sauce, like that creamy, milky green tomatillo sauce um, with rice and beans. Okay. So let's talk about that sauce because that's one of my favorite sauces. And it's a green tomatillo salsa, but it, it does have cream in it, right? Is that one of the distinguishing features than just like a green salsa, any green salsa? Yeah, I do a mixture of milk and cheese. So I do like a like a fondue style. Um, and then that gives it like that stringy consistency of cheese, but um, the creaminess of the milk. And when you reduce it, it just, it's a perfect sauce. For me, that's like my childhood in a sauce. I have a really practical question, just being that like some groceries are hard to find right now. Do you feel Mm -hmm. like you'll have to adapt that in any way for our current cooking climate? Or do you feel like that's something you just always have the ingredients on hand for? Uh, I usually always have those ingredients on hand. And the beauty of it is like when this started happening, um, I I would say I'm not great at like bees and plus at home just because I'm always like in work mode. So when I try to do that at home, I either prep too much or the food goes bad. And it's just I haven't been at home this long. So I've gotten better at it. And I've actually implemented some restaurant skills into my home life, which is weird how we compartmentalize um, work and home life. But, um, but we all I, do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a big batch of tomatillos. And right before they went bad, I threw them all. I made a sauce. So then I froze the sauce in like um, like sandwich bags. So I have bases of that. And then pantry, I always have a crazy amount of, uh, you know, evaporated milk, the Mexican, they do the couple like cream ones. So I always have some sort of dairy on hand um, and cheese. My kids live off of quesadillas, so we'll be fine. I'll have the ingredients I live for off it. quesadillas too, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Also, that's such a good point because I think so many of us think of milk as like this really fresh ingredient, but you can totally buy milk that is like in a can or shelf stable and keep it in your pantry. Also, I'm like, this is such a weird thing to be excited about, but I love that you can like freeze milk and freeze milk based sauces. Oh, totally. Yeah. And they, they come back together beautifully. Like you don't, it's not that complicated. Obviously you have to count for your freezer rental space or, you know, the real estate for your freezer. But I think, you know, it's doable. And when you make that Suiza sauce, are you using regular whole milk or are you grabbing one of those cans? Like it was evaporated milk best. No, I kind of play with it. You can play with it. Um, depending on what you have, again, it's like adaptive, adapt and overcome. But for me, I use whole milk, um, lactose free whole milk and that works beautifully. And does, okay, I'm like, can you tell that I want to make this? I'm like, no, it's <laughs> taking notes. Like with whole milk and 2% milk, like are those all pretty much interchangeable in your kitchen? Yeah, so my daughter likes 2%. She thinks uh, whole milk, I only use whole milk. I always have at least like a pint of it in the refrigerator for baked goods or when I'm baking. Uh, but normally the kids drink 2%. And that, if that I have that on hand, it's fine. Um, it's just... 
a texture thing. So I'll either add more cheese. I overcompensate because it has a higher fat content. So I just look for the right consistency. Okay. So while we're talking about milk, we did get a question from our listeners group about ultra pasteurized milk. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, is that like, is that a better choice right now? Is it really different than whole milk? My understanding is that it makes milk last longer. Is that right? Yeah, I think ultra pasteurized is like what in Mexico, you you won't see plastic gallons of milk in Mexico. The majority of households have shelf stable milk, which is ultra pasteurized. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, to each their own, that's the milk I grew up with. It was like warm when I came out of the carton yes. sometimes. <laughs> Whatever, you, right now we're not in a point in history, like not even of life in history that we can really be, you know, picky and choosy on what yeah. we consume. But I... I try to drink whatever I can afford, you know, and if it's, and my kids drink milk all the time when it's just like, oh, I'm, they're watching TV. Yesterday, Haley like sat with her pint of milk next to her and it's really random to say. And that's something that I can genuinely, why I partnered with milk. It's, it's such a part of our life. And I remember when I was little, if I didn't, couldn't sleep, my grandmother would warm up a cup of milk, nothing else, or sometimes cinnamon, but my kids are the same way. That's like their comfort thing. So Whatever yeah. you can get. If it's ultra it's pasteurized, true. if it's raw, what I mean, to each their own. I just want to say my mom also, like, because I had insomnia as a kid, would also warm up milk and put a little bit of honey and cinnamon in it mm-hmm. as, like, a sleepy time drink. So I love that how, like, cross-culture milk is and that, like, shared mother's tradition is. It's true. Yeah. I was just going to say that I would put in Oliver's milk. He loves the flavor of fresh nutmeg. Uh-huh. So I would do a couple of grates of fresh nutmeg, a little knob of ginger, and a tiny drop of vanilla extract and warm that up for him. Mm, that's awesome. I Recently, I've been on a star anise kick. So I do a cinnamon oh, yeah. star anise uh, in my rice pudding. So try that if you have some. Oh, you know, that's funny that you brought up rice pudding because that's another one of my Greek grandmother's like famous recipes. And I always remember like on the weekend, she'd bring out her big pot. I still Mm -hmm. have, I have her roasting pan and her pot still. (laughs) And she'd have this like, I mean, we also came from humble beginnings and her pot was just like a thin, I want to say, is it aluminum? Is it tin? I don't know with those little (laughs) black candles. Like, who knows where it came from, but it wasn't like, you know, enamel cast iron or anything like what I look to buy now for myself. And it always had a huge amount of rice pudding with the big, like, two cinnamon sticks Mm -hmm, and the lemon peels, like, just big strips of lemon peel. And I remember that smell. The combination of warming milk with cinnamon and lemon is such a, like, Greek smell to me. I love it. Yeah, and it's funny because across... I mean, every culture has a rice pudding and that's like the beauty of my work and uh, kind of digging through the humanity quilt. And the biggest thing that has come from it is like nothing is original to one country. Yeah. Like you can, it's all this muddy cross-cultural. Uh, we got rice pudding from the Arabs when they were doing their crusades throughout the world. And then it landed in China, turned into a dish there. It landed in India, turned into a dish there in Greece, in Italy, in Spain. And the closest one we have to Mexicans, our version in Mexico is the Basque style. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the closest when you think of like a Mexican arroz con leche, it's uh, most similar to the Basque Asturia rice. That's so interesting. Okay. So speaking of how food travels and all of these family memories, 
Are Do you have any heirloom recipes from your mother, from your grandmother, maybe even going back that you still always make at home or maybe that you even brought into your restaurant? The arroz con leche and the suizas. Those are two that are... Arroz con leche, but I, if I have a mental breakdown, I always have at least a quart of a rice pudding. <laughs> and my kids... So right now, we're, yeah, we're but, in quarantine, yes. Yeah. We, I've consumed an insane amount of rice pudding this quarantine. <laughs> That sounds yeah. good. I haven't had enough now that you're talking about it. I know. It. Now I'm like, I need to go make rice pudding immediately after this. I did an IGTV or an IG live uh, making my mom's rice pudding with people because I was just like, I just need to share this with the world because I'm having a moment. And it was it was really well received. That's and that's awesome. a perfect quarantine recipe, too, because it doesn't involve you having to turn on the oven. You can just do it on the stovetop. It uses things that most people probably have in their pantry or in their kitchen on hand, like rice and milk and some butter. Maybe you throw eggs in there, some spices. Mm-hmm. What a really perfect like and talk about comfort food for quarantine. I love that idea so much. Yeah. Megan, do you have any family recipes or like things that your mother always made for you or that your grandmother always made for you that you now make for your kids? Uh, This is such a tough question for me to answer because we always joke, but it's there's a thread of truth in there that I started learning to cook because my mom was a single mom raising three kids, you know, working two jobs, putting herself through graduate school and then getting her PhD. Like she didn't have time to cook. So we ate a ton of boxed and processed food. And so I, I always joke that I started learning how to cook because I was tired of hamburger helper. <laughs> <laughs> but my grandmother was a really like uh, a fabulous cook and baker and she kept a little victory garden like she put up beans every summer from her garden all of that um and the thing that she made that we still make regularly um are these like old-fashioned cake donuts which are just like Mm. a really simple batter that you make overnight has like milk and nutmeg and butter and flour and then you fry it in the morning and she would make that when i would go stay with her in the summers she would make them and freeze them for me to like take back to my dad's house because when I was staying visiting my grandmother I was usually spending time with my dad Mm -hmm. and so I always remember like eating them toasted from the freezer with peanut butter on them and it took us years to recreate her recipe because when she died she hadn't taught anyone like all the intricacies of her recipe so we just had like little scraps of paper about uh, like rough ingredient amounts, but no one could get like the flavor right. And it took us so many years of trial and error to finally figure it out. But it's weird how your but brain you works because it. it remembers. Yes. And what it came down to was the fry oil. Like she was not using oil. She was using a combination of oil and shortening because oh, that yeah. was like less expensive for her. Yeah. And so it gave this very distinct flavor and also mouthfeel to the donuts. Like they weren't super crispy cake donuts, but they were perfect in my in my memory. So yeah, figuring out the cheapness of her recipe was the secret. Yeah, it's a different time, right? Like I feel like that's going to yes. be us. Our kids are going to be saying that because now I have I'm thankful for my Crisco batter. And, you know, the kids are going to say that for this time in history, right? Yeah, they're going to remember all the things that we ate while we were on quarantine. The best thing was introducing them to powdered milk. I said, when the groceries ran out of milk, <laughs> this is how we used to eat cereal when I was a kid. My parents couldn't afford milk, so they would buy powdered milk in box. So we were so used to just putting milk and it was like a the milk powder, the nonfat milk powder. 
And that's how I grew up drinking milk when we had really bad times. And my kids saw the can of powdered milk. And I'm like, this is where we're at. (laughs) (laughs) What'd they think? They're like, no, we're just not going to drink. It's fine. (laughs) Just eat cereal dry. I have a funny milk story, too, though. When you're talking about back in Mexico, how it was all the ultra-pasteurized shelf-stable milk. When <laughs> my I first took my husband back to Greece, this was before we had kids, my mother encouraged me to go visit her village. She was not traveling with us, but we did find her aunt, and we stayed two nights at her aunt's house. So I guess my great aunt. And we'd wake up in the morning and I understand Greek, but I don't speak Greek very well. Mm -hmm. So we'd sit at the table and my aunt would speak in Greek and I'd know what she was saying, but I, I would kind of try my best to communicate back to her. And she would very proudly put these two bowls of cornflakes with (laughs) the warm, like milk off the shelf, like, you know, and just pour it over cornflakes. And my husband is, you know, he's like, three or four generation American. Like he grew up very differently than me. was like, oh, and I would just be like, just eat it. Just eat it. It's fine. Cereal soup. Yeah, but that's what it was like. It was like soggy cornflakes. But it's so funny to me that like this through line of milk and how every grandma just like pulls it off the shelf in their form, whether powdered or shelf stable or freshly milked maybe. Oh, yeah. I had a lot of that too. (laughs) So, okay. We had this question before we sign off. We had this question come up in our listeners group. We've been talking about family recipes, what's been passed down to us and our memories, but have you two thought about the recipes that you hope your kids will remember and how you might pass them down? Like, how do we start to create traditions? I think we have this unique opportunity while we're in quarantine, especially To kind of say like, okay, this is an opportunity to figure out what it is that is our comfort food and how we can pass that along and make it a tradition with our kids and our grandkids eventually. I feel like that's such a deep question. Like, how do you? Yeah, girl, we're ending on a deep note. I know. But like, what what do you make that you want to pass on to your kids? I think it's for me and this time, like I I do a lot of self-reflection and I'm trying to heal a lot of like ancestral trauma and I'm very like trying to be in tune with myself during all of this so I don't lose my mind. And the biggest thing and the biggest goal for me out of all of this is not so much the recipes, but to teach my kids how to feed themselves without having restaurants, without having to go to the grocery store. Like if we can hunker down for three weeks. So what we did, my daughter and I made like a list of pantry items that we had and, and all of the, like basically an inventory of our food in the house. Um, and then we pick, we do this like a uh, recipe roulette where we pick, okay, we're going to use this with this, with this and make a Venn diagram of what dinner is going to be. And I want them to come out of this knowing how to feed themselves with little to no money, which is something that a lot of my adult friends that aren't chefs don't really know how to do. They don't cook, they eat out all the time. And I find that more and more is the case. And I want my kids to be self-sustainable and also be able to be willing to eat that can of beans in the back of the pantry that's probably 10 years old. It's been there since you moved in and just eat it because it's, you're feeding yourself for sustenance, you know, and like not be too good for anything because we're fortunate enough to still have grocery stores. And, you know, I do enough work in third world countries to be, and the way I grew up to be very thankful for what we have. So I think this has been a very good exercise for empathy and just 
selflessness, like stop thinking about ourselves so much. So that's for me, that's my quarantine lesson with my kids. I think that's really beautiful. I'm really touched by that. I do think that that has been, uh, we, Megan and I have groaned about silver linings talk Mm -hmm. (laughs) on episodes (laughs) since quarantine, but it does feel like now's the time to like, look around, like who needs help more than you? Like how, even in your own home, because you mentioned that you have these two kids that are fighting all the time and I'll (laughs) tell you mine too. And it's like, well, now there's, there's a whole space, like my mental health matters. Like I, I can't take care of it while you're at school or, you know, while I go out with my, you know, friend or yoga class or whatever it is, like, we're all here together. Mm -hmm. And like, how do we all think of each other and take care of each other? So that really resonates with me. Yeah. Megan, do you have any heirloom recipe? I mean, it's really tough to follow Claudette there. I have to say <laughs> the question was hard. It just got so much harder. I was thinking about this the idea of self-sufficiency and also things that we we love and cherish at home that are adaptable and how um, my son, Emmett, who's five, is obsessed with Dutch baby pancakes. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we've been doing in quarantine is making them more together. And like we've run out of milk and we've been able to use evaporated milk in them and um, just being like doing that with him, creating this memory of us cooking together, but then also showing him that like it doesn't always have to be the same. We can be a little bit scrappy when it comes to cooking together too. What about you, Stacey? What's your heirloom recipe from quarantine? Well, it's, you know, we are extremely fortunate to be able to travel with our kids. And quarantine started with a cancellation to a trip that we were going to take with both grandmas to Israel. So my husband is Jewish. He is not religious. So we, you know, our kids haven't gone to Hebrew school or anything like that. But we thought, you know, my, our oldest just turned 13 recently and we thought this could be a good way to pass on culture, which is very important to us. And that got me thinking a lot about, I love cooking Israeli food, Middle Eastern food. I'm Greek, so it feels close to home, but somehow I always skirt around Greek food. Hmm. And, um, you know, at first I was like, that's okay, guys. Like I'm going to make like she pan shawarma, like I'm going to make an Israeli salad. And, you know, trying to keep my chin up about this canceled trip. And at one point, my older son was like, how come you really never cook Greek food? And it's interesting. I had to really reflect on that. And it's, you know, my kids eat so differently than I ate at home. And there is a touch of what you're saying, Claudette, because Greek food is super simple and just making do with what you have. Like if you couldn't afford meat that week, that's fine. Like beans and feta cheese and tomato and some bread is a meal. But I do think it's because my grandmother was such a wonderful cook and I hold her cooking in such high esteem that I haven't wanted to put myself up against that. So again, on this whole like self-reflection tip, just saying like, that's okay. (laughs) Like it doesn't undermine me as a food professional. Like it doesn't have to be as good as hers. Like, but this is the food of my people Yeah, and I want to share it with my kids. So I am committing to cooking more Greek food. That's awesome. So my family, I forgot to mention my family in Guadalajara, uh, my aunt married a Greek man and had (laughs) six kids with them. So um, a big chunk of my family is Greek Mexican. Uh, So I grew up eating a lot of Greek food uh, whenever I went to Guadalajara. So that's awesome. Yeah. 
That's really fun. Very, very Greek. Stavros and Lambros. Oh, yeah. And Paris. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You could stop at Stavros like yes, I get it. I I feel you. I know exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Claudette, thank you so much for taking time, especially during all this craziness and with kids at home, to talk to us today. It was so wonderful to chat with you. Likewise. No, it was a a nice pause in my day. Good. We're so glad. Good. And we hope you have a happy Mother's Day, even if your kids are fighting. (laughs) I'm just going to go sit in my car with a bottle of wine. It'll be good. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's kind of the way all Mother's Days are. I like that plan. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Billis, I feel like you really put me on the spot here (laughs) asking (laughs) this question. About heirloom recipes, and it sort of, like, in a weird, but also good way, brought up, like, these feelings that I have that, like, I don't have this sort of, like, culinary culture that I was raised in or that I'm trying to, like, pass down to my kids. I mean, my dad was a restaurant chef. We we don't talk about this very much, but, like, I have sort of an estranged relationship with him. I, I was part of him opening restaurants when I was really young, and then there was, like large gaps where he wasn't around. I have some food memories tied to him, but my mom also didn't really cook when I was growing up. She was so busy. She was a single mom, um, raising three kids and like just doing her very best, both as in regards to her time and to her budget. Um, I had a grandmother who was a wonderful cook, but like, I didn't spend a ton of time with her. So it's hard for me to know like what culinary traditions I am passing down to my own kids. And like, if that matters as much as like teaching them to be self-sufficient home cooks. Wasn't that a genius reflection? I don't know. Was it? I felt dumb during the interview. I was like, I don't know. What do I want to pass down to my Why? children? No. <laughs> I just don't. Sometimes I don't think about that. I just like am so living it. I'm not taking time to reflect yet. Yeah, of course. But, you know, it's partly, I think, because your kids are younger. I mean, it's the same like what I was saying about Greek food. Like, I mean, Isaac's 13 and Oliver's 10 and Isaac's like, wait a minute, how come you never cook Greek food? Yeah. (laughs) I think it also came up because Greek Easter happened while in quarantine and I couldn't help my mom or, you know, that's usually my mom's holiday. So she does the bulk of the cooking and like I come in as the cook expert, but like it's not like I'm home in my kid's space making this traditional Greek food that I grew up with. So, you know, it is a little bit about having time and space to reflect. You're kind of in it right now. Yeah. That that makes me, though, curious. What would your mom cook for Easter or even for Mother's Day? Like, what's a Greek tradition around mothers? You know, Mother's Day isn't a big thing in Greece, but I do know that one of the things that I love, my grandmother has like, they're like three or four things, right? Yeah. There's always yeah. like the celebratory roast leg of lamb, right? And that's like most holidays. There are a couple of like Easter specific, there's an Easter specific soup. There are definitely holiday specific desserts. But then in general, there are two other things that I associate with my grandmother. And this is like whenever, like when I would just go to her house or when I was in college, she actually would send me back to school with a big tray to keep in my freezer. Pastizzo, which is like a Greek style lasagna almost. It's bechamel and pasta with like a tomato meat sauce. But the tomato sauce 
has a very distinctly Greek flavor, not Italian, because it has a bit of cinnamon and allspice. And that was one of my favorites. And then she used to make galuktoburiko, which is a Greek dessert. There are two of them, actually. Bugatza is one, galuktoburiko is the other. Both are filo dough with custard. And the yes. custard is very like luscious and thick because you uh, enrich it with farina, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, galuktoburiko is soaked in a honey syrup. And bugatza is just plain. It's usually wrapped like a pocket more and served warm with a little powdered sugar and cinnamon on top. So those were two of my favorite personal desserts. And my grandmother used to make them for us. And so I recently... Actually, inspired by Isaac's comment and also working with milk, love what's real, decided to make a ruffled milk pie is what it's called. And it's kind of an approximation of both of these desserts. So I'm considering it. I'm going to share the recipe with everybody. Yes, we are. Right? We've got that going for everybody. Um, You've tested it. So we kind of worked on it together. And it's a way of me tiptoeing towards (laughs) those heirloom recipes. I love that we we got to cook it together cross country. Like it feels like this little thread of celebration, even though we're so far apart, especially because we were supposed to be together this first week I of May. No. Um, so I just I don't know. That's I'm so cheesy, but I'm like, it just like warms my heart a little bit. And now we get to share it with everyone. We do. It's really mm-hmm. and it's also just delicious. It's so good, you guys. And it's, it's pretty. So and it's the kind of thing where you could make it for yourself and feel like you were celebrating yourself for Mother's Day. Totally. Will you cook for yourself on Mother's Day, Stacy, and what will you make? Well, you know, ordering out feels special these days. Yes. Um, they're right. Like one, we're doing it Co-sign way it. less, but you feel like you're supporting a business. And also here in New York City, there are a lot of restaurants that don't normally deliver that have switched over to only delivery that it's like really, really delicious. It's not just like, you know, um, not that this isn't delicious, but it's not just like a pizza pie or like yeah. burgers or like falafel sandwiches. It's like restaurants are serving like full meals um, and bottles of wine too. Hello. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we might order out, but I'm definitely going to make the ruffled milk pie again. It really does especially in this time where I'm away from my mom and it's Mother's Day and thinking about all this Greek cooking, it really is a taste of something very comforting to me. Also, I have all that milk and heavy cream. <laughs> yeah, that you need to use up. So sweet. How about you? Are you going to cook for yourself? Um, Probably. I'm thinking a little bit about like Mother's Day morning and wanting to like make something that I can make maybe the night before yeah. and just pop in the oven so I can actually like, or Brian can pop in the oven better yet. Um, so I can just kind of like enjoy a low, a long snuggly morning in bed. So I'm thinking about like those sort of overnight French toast casseroles where you mix up milk and eggs and pour it over like bread or croissants. And it has like a little cinnamon and sugar to top it. Um, I also feel like after talking to Chef Claudette, like I should make my grandmother's cake donuts, which I have a recipe for on the kitchen. And maybe we'll do that on Saturday as like a fun thing to do together with the kids, like make the dough and then shape them and have them like as an afternoon snack instead of just as a Mother's Day brunch thing. I love that. And also, I think it's really interesting that we bring it full circle again Both of our ideas for what we want to eat are like these milk egg custardy things. (laughs) 
We did not plan that either. It's just like <laughs> so what's actually funny. happening in our life. So funny. Yes. Well, we hope that everybody has a really wonderful Mother's Day next week. And you have all week to think about how you want it to look, <laughs> how yes, you feel about sh- it. We will definitely have to get a thread going in our listeners group about what, how everyone else is going to celebrate. Because I feel like there's probably some really great ideas we haven't even thought about. And you can also find out more about Milk Love What's Real at didn'tijustfeedyou.com or visit Milk directly at MilkLife.com. And actually, you guys, MilkLife.com is a really awesome resource if you find yourself without milk or like if you have that, you know, can of condensed milk or evaporated milk in the back. Like it's just a very good resource if like us, your family is flying through the stuff and you want to be flexible on what you use based on what you can find. And you can also just at them on social. They are at milk on Facebook, at milk life on Instagram and also on Twitter. Speaking of, you can find us as Didn't I Just Feed You on Instagram and Facebook, where you can also join that listeners group that we're going to start a Mother's Day thread in. The answer to the question of what our favorite cocktail is, is whiskey. Don't add us. It's a cocktail. Is there any whiskey milk cocktails? I feel like there I was are. just thinking, you know, what I was thinking of is um, a white Russian, but that's usually half and half and not whiskey. Wait, and what's in an Alexander brandy or brandy oh, Alexander? I don't even know. It's a brandy based cocktail with cognac, creme de cacao, and cream. Okay, we're drinking that to celebrate my Nice. Day. Okay, you guys get <laughs> extra points and a big special. Shout out if instead of whiskey you say Brandy Alexander. <laughs> oh my god, you're Not gonna really, really confuse We can't really people. track that. We're busy, <laughs> but but we'll love you. You'll know that when we see you, you'll bring a smile to our face. But even more important than that, guys, please subscribe to Din and I Just Feed You so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like what you hear, you know what we're gonna say. Tell your friends about us and rate and review. It makes a really big difference. A huge thank you to our editor, Samantha Gatsik. Our music is Good Old Times by Alex Cohen, provided by Jim Endo. I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. If you can, stay sane and well-fed until next week. Enjoy your Mother's Day. Isaac, what do you think is my ideal Mother's Day? A day with your family and a lot of love. Is that what you plan to <laughs> serve up this year? Yeah, <laughs> in what form <laughs> do you have a plan for how you plan to show me love love is just such a vague thing <laughs> no idea I'll no you. idea I'll hug and give you kisses hey Oliver if you were a mom what would you want most on Mother's Day uh probably to be in bed and have what I want do you think that's what's gonna happen for me on Mother's Day IDK happy Mother's Day's mom We love you. I love you so much, Mommy. Happy Mother's Day.